Hello, welcome to another episode of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Welcome back to the channel, everybody. And I decided to do this episode on a Saturday instead of a Friday, just because Friday was Game 4 of the NBA Finals, and I wanted to incorporate Game 4 in this episode. If you don't know, now you know by now with me telling you that the Golden State Stole a game at TD Garden, believe it or not. The electric crowd was still there. However, they couldn't get it done as the Golden State Warriors won that one, 107-97 to in Game 4, and now will be traveling back to Golden State for Game 5. Both teams two apiece in this series. And this Game 4 itself, I mean, we talk about Stephen Curry going off in this one, but this time a historic game for him as he's trying to carry this Golden State team to a championship. And then as well, the Celtics struggles offensively and how's that led to a deep, deep collapse into the offensive side of turnovers. But before we do into that, let's just go around for the lineup of today. We'll be talking about not only this game four, but as well the coaching carousel. What's going on? I mean, what does Coach Ham mean for the Lakers? I mean, what are his comments with Russell Westbrook and as well Coach Snyder, Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz was there for eight years. Now he's... I mean, he's out and about free to choose. So we're also going to be talking about that and some of the things that are going on with the coaches and maybe even a little bit of draft talk, maybe a little bit of draft talk. But let's go straight into this episode with game four. As I mentioned before, the Warriors winning that one by 10, 107 to 97 over the Celtics. And the beginning of this game, I mean, it looked like it was going to be a Celtic runoff. You know what I mean? They were basically playing the Phenomenal defense. They were holding Golden State to six points halfway in the first quarter. And yeah, that's right. No typo. No need to adjust your ears. Six points Golden State was held by in the first five or so minutes. And then you see Boston just missing all their shots. All these easy ones. The offense looks stagnant. If you ask me, the majority of the time, they were just driving into the right wing, praying that he either got easy layup way above the uh, clouds or you just swing it over to the left wing. And yeah, sure, that was working for game three because the Celtics made majority of their three-pointers like that, getting a little bit of the off-ball rotation. But at the same time, I think Golden State saw the film. A majority of their turnovers in this game were really based on the idea of, hey, they're going to dish it out when they're driving in on that wing. I'm going to make sure I'm going to jump right on the pass and we're going to get quick baskets. And that's what happened with Clay Thompson getting steals, Andrew Wiggins getting steals. And so Golden State definitely did their film and made it a close game in this one, despite the fact that Clay Thompson himself, and again, I don't know exactly what's going on with Clay. He had a pretty good game three, you know, about 25 points in that one. This game four, despite the Warriors win, Clay Thompson, 18 points, that's really great, right? 41.2% from the field. Yeah, that's really great. Two rebounds, one assist, one steal. Two blocks, which is a little bit more surprising. But at the same time, it's like whenever you saw him on the court, you didn't really see him as a threat unless he was wide open. And yes, he had a lot of wide open threes. Overall, he was 4-10 and from three. And a majority of those threes were wide open passes made by the ball movement of Golden State late. But at the same time, I mean, Klay Thompson in this one, you know, He's looking like another piece. He's not looking like a superstar right now. But going back to the game itself, Boston Celtics holding down the Warriors. However, they still led by only six throughout that time period because they just couldn't score. It was 12 to six, I think, for like two straight minutes in the beginning of the game. And then you'll see off that Warriors come back quickly. Boston reacts. Warriors come back quickly. Boston reacts. And going through the first 
quarter, it was going to be a dogfight. Everyone knew right there and then it was going to be a dogfight for both of these teams to etch it out. And it kept on going on and on and on. And you think that, man, the Celtics are holding this Golden State team phenomenally. But there's also the offensive issues. They were missing their shots wide open. They were going heavily contested layups all the time. And the worst part about it, the free throws. The Boston Celtics were 50% at halftime for free throws. And it was insane because they ended up getting fouled multiple times in this game. Multiple times in this game. And the worst part about all of this, if you look at the overall game they had at the free throw line, at the charity arc, they had 73.7% going 14-19. and 19. They went 100% in that second half, yes. But at the same time, man, come on, think about it. 14-19. and 19. I mean, what does that five points mean for you? Yeah, sure, they lost by 10, but still, what does that mean to you? It could definitely contribute to the game. So, Boston, horrible on the free throw line. They've ended up actually doing better than the Golden State Warriors in the three-point category, which I thought was pretty insane to think about. I think Golden State got a lot of great shots, but they kept on missing. Andrew Wiggins, who was not that well off from three in this one, he was two and six. However, hell of a game. Hell of a game. I thought that, especially in the second half, whenever Robert Williams was trying to go for a block and the ball sailed over, I think Andrew Wiggins was untouched getting the rebound. The offensive rebounds that he got in this one were a huge catalyst to the idea that, hey, I'm going to make sure I'm involved in this game. As Andrew Wiggins ended up getting 16 rebounds, all right? He had 17 points in this one. 17 points and 16 rebounds. That's an Andre Drummond 2018 stat. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is something that we, we don't really see a lot of guys that who are usually out there on the wing do. So Andrew Wiggins was definitely involved in this one, and you saw a lot of hustle out of him. I mean, there was even one moment where he chased down Al Horford to get a uh, a foul, which was a good foul because Al Horford would have easily got two points on a fast break. And that's just some sort of championship caliber that you're seeing from Andrew Wiggins. And honestly, you know, I'm all for Andrew right now, all for Andrew. But besides Andrew Wiggins, Stephen Curry was probably the main story of this game. If you haven't heard anything about the Boston Celtics struggling offensively, you probably heard about Curry dropping 43 in this game. He's all over the internet right now, and honestly, for really great reasons, carrying this Golden State team. 43 points, 10 rebounds. He had a double-double. A double-double. And it wasn't even based on assists as a point guard. 43 points in this one, and the crazy factor of this, 7-14, and 50% from three, right? 14-26, right, out of the shots overall on the field. That's 53.8%. The man could not miss, and it was insane to see because obviously throughout this entire postseason and definitely throughout the four games that we've seen so far in the NBA Finals, Golden State's Stephen Curry has probably been known as the best player, and if he does win this championship this year against this Celtics team, which a lot of people are saying is the overall better team, I mean, we might as well just call it Stephen Curry might be better than Magic Johnson career-wise, overall-wise, maybe. Stephen Curry himself should probably even be a top five considered if he does win a championship this year. Because the way he's carrying this Golden State Warriors team over an aggressive Boston defense, how they are. And yes, again, Boston, the only team that beat the Celtics are the Celtics with their defense being great. But the offense always being inefficient for game to game. I mean, Stephen Curry looks like right now probably the best player on the planet. And the worst part about it, I don't even think it's even close right now. 
besides, of course, Yon and Akupo. But at the same time, I mean, is Giannis doing anything that Curry's doing right now? I'm seeing him do, like, insane shots, attacking the basket, getting any layup he wants, acrobatic finishes included with a 35-foot three. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. However, Stephen Curry dropping 43 points in that one and making Golden State tie up the series 2-2, to -two, going back to San Fran for Game 5 later on on Monday at 9 o'clock p.m. on ABC. And also, before I uh, leave the subject, I also want to include the fact that Boston, with a six-point lead with seven minutes remaining in the game, would go on to make only six points in that seven minutes remaining, which is insane to say, but that also tells you the story of how inconsistent the Celtics were. So that's where I'm going to leave it right now with that game four, as we'll be moving to game five later on. However, now let's talk about the coaching carousel. Because I like the moves that the coaches are making. I mean, Darvin Ham, the uh, former assistant coach for the Milwaukee Bucks, and especially was known for his championship role, helping out Giannis Antetokounmpo for a Milwaukee championship last year. I mean, Darvin Ham might be one of the best hires in the NBA coaching carousel. And it's early June. You know what I mean? It's early in the offseason. But Darvin Ham signs it off with the Los Angeles Lakers, replacing Frank Vogel who ended up winning a championship in the bubble of 2020. And Ham himself, I think that not only does he have a championship caliber that you're bringing in to that coaching staff, but I think he's going to be more inclusive with Westbrook, right? Giannis Antetokounmpo, aggressive player, young guy, slowly starting to build up a shot. And Ham is a part of that. He is a part of that coaching staff that has rebuilt that Milwaukee franchise to be a dominant Eastern powerhouse. So what do we see right now for Russell Westbrook? We're going to see something where we have a more aggressive Westbrook again from OKC days. Maybe less shots, more aggressive in the paint. And who knows? I mean, if this offseason comes in with a bunch of great role players that you have to say you have great length, this might be one of the best defensive teams in the NBA next year with Anthony Davis coming back from injury. LeBron James obviously is going to give you some sort of help. And then, of course, I mean, depending again, who are they going to bring in? But I think Los Angeles has a great chance in the West with Coach Ham on it. And then, of course, as I mentioned before in this podcast, Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz, after eight seasons, decided to step down. And, of course, everyone knows what's going on in Utah. Donovan Mitchell's unhappy. Rudy Gobert's unhappy. They're mostly going to split one of the two later on this offseason. If not, then it's going to be insane just to think about. But, man... Quinn Snyder for eight years, second most winningest coach in Utah Jazz history, and now he's back on the market. And the teams that are looking out right now, I mean, there's multiple of them. There's no doubt about it. But the one place I felt like he was having a great chance for was probably with the Charlotte Hornets. I thought the Hornets basically being that one team that is right there on the brink of making the playoffs. I mean, they're right there, too. They're in the play-in. And, you know, Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball is slowly becoming an all-star. You have Gordon Hayward, and it's probably his last couple of years of actual efficient, you know, production out of him. But, man, let me tell you, the Hornets announced, I believe, not too long ago, they got themselves a good one. The former Brooklyn Nets coach, which coached that team in 2016, which everybody loved the energy of D'Lo and... And believe it or not, everybody even loved Garrett Allen for a moment. And I feel like everybody keeps on forgetting about Garrett Allen. But Kenny Askinson, four-year deal with the Charlotte Hornets. And this is probably one of the best moves Charlotte could have made besides Snyder. 
I love the fact that Atkinson, right now, assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors, is going to be back to a young squad coaching again. This might be 2016 Brooklyn Nets all over again with this upcoming 2023 Charlotte Hornets squad. I'm letting you know right now, if Atkinson can actually do something over there in Charlotte, which I believe he can, the Hornets should be a playoff team. I expect that team to be fun, energetic, and offensively, it's going to be a powerhouse every night. Every single night, they're going to be dropping maybe 115, 110 mile bridges going off. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for the Eastern Conference Finals next year, especially with the coaches that are going around. But speaking of which, going back to Quinn Snyder now, with the heart, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Hornets job now not available anymore. I mean, what is there out there right now that needs a coach? And plus, I mean, Mike D'Antoni is still available. I mean, I would take Mike D'Antoni in a heartbeat. I don't think there's no doubt about that. And to be honest, I thought he was going to overcome Steve Nash in the coaching ranks and actually be the head coach for that Brooklyn team, which I would have loved to see. I mean, Mike D'Antoni's offensive mind with Kevin Durant and James Harden still in that roster. And I remind you, Mike D'Antoni was there for the best years of James Harden in Houston. So I can only imagine exactly what is really going on in his mind right now as he looks around. And maybe, just maybe, I mean, I don't know how much Detroit likes Dwayne Casey. However, new young blood coming into Detroit, right? You might want to figure out, hey, do we need Snyder? Would Coach Snyder, would Quinn Snyder help us out offensively with our guys? Because Cade Cunningham is phenomenal. They're obviously going to get a guy again in the draft that's at least a top prospect caliber player. And, I mean, shoot. If you ask me, I think that entire Detroit squad has a lot of unraw potential. A lot of unraw potential. So we have to decide right now who exactly would be that next guy. And to end off this episode, I know it's kind of a short episode. However, you know, Saturday morning. Don't want you guys being waiting on all day. Man, what about Jabari Smith in his workouts for Orlando? I'm telling you right now, he should be the number one pick. And we're going to be talking more about the draft before the draft even starts. But, man, let me tell you about Jabari Smith. Guy's phenomenal, 6'10", versatile defender, and as well, you got to see him shoot. He's one of the most efficient shooters in this draft, and he is a wing player coming off of a 6'10", probably almost a 7-foot wingspan, and he's shooting the ball phenomenally from three. And I find this actually the new type of way of basketball now, where if you're not big and you can't shoot, you might as well not step on the court. I hate saying stuff like that, but at the same time, whenever I look at the draft this year, it's always, man, who is the biggest guy, right? I mean, who is 6'10 shooting off lights out in the gym, right? It's insane. It's insane, but Jabari Smith is probably going to be the number one pick in this upcoming draft for the Orlando Magic, and they also talk about the fits, right? Which player fits well with the current situation? For the Orlando Magic, anybody fits. I mean, they just need anybody in reality. Either that be uh, Chet or Bianchero. But, man, Jabari Smith will be phenomenal for that franchise. I can't imagine Smith and Cole Anthony going on each other. And then, you know, hopefully Fultz comes back at full force next year. But, man, Orlando will be a fun team. They'll definitely be a more than 20 to 22 win team next year with Jabari Smith. I have high regards for that. You heard it here first. But Jabari Smith and his Orlando worked out look phenomenal. He talked about the Orlando Magic organization as a well-won, well-rounded. And of course, I mean, you know, he's going to be in Orlando close saying that. So obviously you don't know for sure if it's true or not. But at the same time, I, I, I honestly think that Orlando has their guy. 
I think Orlando definitely has their guy. And yeah, sure, you know, Shaq, Howard, the last two first draft picks for the Orlando Magic were both centers. That could probably break the chain this year with uh, Jabari Smith. I don't. I really do believe that Chet is going to be a great player later on in his career. But I don't think he's going to have immediate impact like Jabari is going to have for the Orlando Magic. That one I firmly do believe. That one I firmly do believe. So Jabari Smith, trust me, he will be a well-rounded player on Orlando. And you'll see instant impact as soon as possible. And that's going to be ending off this episode. I want to thank you again for joining in to the Courtside Podcast. And I'll see you guys later on on Monday before Game 5 for the NBA Finals.